0: said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. It came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept, mourned, fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven." And I said, and I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible, terrible doesn't mean what you think it means, it means awesome, the great and awesome God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and they confess the sins and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father, Father's house have sinned. You know, First John 1 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Amen. I don't care who you are, if you've sinned against God, if you'll confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, amen, and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We have dealt very corruptly against thee. We have not kept your commandments, your statutes, or your judgments which you command us, your servant Moses. Remember, notice this, he's saying, God, remember, He's putting God in remembrance of His Word. Not as if God forgot, but as a point of contact, and a point of agreement. I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If you transgress, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you turn to me, keep my commandments and do them, though they were cast out of you into the uttermost part of the heaven, God said, I will gather them from thence and will bring them into the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are the servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by the thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant... ...and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name. So Nehemiah wasn't the only one praying this. It was his prayer and also others. And he said, I pray thee, thy servant, this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man... ...for I was the king's cupbearer. Now chapter 2 is a little bit more lengthy. we won't read it in its entirety, but we're going to glean it very quickly... And so actually five months take place during this time between when he prays this initial prayer and the time that it picks up in the second chapter. It came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. And he said, I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. And said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad? When the city, the place of my father's sepulchres lieth waste, the gates are consumed with fire. The king said to me, What dost thou make request? And he said, So I prayed under his breath. Nehemiah begins to pray. And I prayed to the God of heaven. Now notice this. This is where to connect with what I'm saying about being very specific in your prayer, in your request. I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor in thy sight, would you send me to Judah unto the city of my father's sepulchers that I may build it? And the king said unto me, the queen sitting beside him, how long shall your journey be and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given to the governors beyond the river that they may convey me. On our prayer guide, we've got send me and convey me and then thirdly give me from the eighth verse unto Asaph the keeper of the king's forest that he may give me timber to make beans for the gates of the, of the house which pertaineth to the house or the palace to the, pertaineth to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So he comes to the governors, bearing the letters, giving the letters, Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the servant, the 10th verse, the Ammonite. It grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there for three days. Nehemiah arises in the night, 12th verse, few men with him. He doesn't tell anybody what God's put in his heart to do. Neither was there any beast with him save the beast that he rode upon. And he said, I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon the dung port and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and the gates were consumed with fire I went to the gate of the fountain to the king's pool there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass because there was so much rubble then I went up by night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned and the rulers knew not whither I went or whether I did neither as I had yet told them to the Jews nor to the priests, nor to the nobles nor to the rulers nor to the rest that did the work won't you stand up we'll conclude this passage of scripture as we honor the word of God today. For then I said unto them, 17th verse, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. See, change has to have a stimulant. Something, someone has to stimulate change, or our natural tendencies is to continue to live life the way we've always lived it acclimating to the rubbish around us. Right, come on now. Something had to stimulate a change. And then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's word that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Now notice this, last two verses, and then I'll share it with you where I drew the title out of this series or out of the message today. Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, Jesham the Arabian heard of it. They laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you will do? Will you rebel against the king? When you make a decision to do something productive, proactive in the kingdom of God, you can rest assured there will be opposition. Then answer I them. I love Nehemiah's response. The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we are his servants. We're going to do this. We're going to rise up and build. Every now and then you have to tell the devil. Come on, you have no portion. I'm telling you, walk through your house and say, devil, you have no portion, you have no right, you have no memorial. When you're praying over your family, your children, no matter what condition of life they may be in, you lift your voice up and you tell the devil, you have no right to have my kids. Come on, somebody. You have no right to have my life. You have no right. We're going to see the hand of God. Now I have extracted a verse that I wanted to choose the title of this message today and it's woven in that 12th verse. Here when Nehemiah said, I arose in the night, I and some few men with me, and neither told I any man, notice this, what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. And So as we start the new year off together, there's a question that I want to ask you. I think it is... It is, it is critical for every one of us, no matter what season of life you're in, that you have an answer for this question. That question is this. What has God put in your heart to do? You want to live life in peace and you want to live life in contentment, then you've got to discover, accomplish, and maintain God's will for your life. You do. Let's pray. Father, I love you. Thank you for the privilege of allowing me to, to read your word, even though we read it very quickly today. God, I pray that you would now add your blessing to the preaching of the Word of God, the teaching and the exhortation, and may the spirit of prophecy be in this house today, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. amen. I'd like to take just a moment as just a... Occasionally, I put out disclaimers. Sometimes you have to tag one along on the, base, on the bottom of your sermon notes in that fine line that it's hard for you to read. And I want to use this phrase. It's called the whole counsel of God. It's found in Scripture. Paul said that we would preach the whole counsel of God. And when I look at a great audience every Sunday, such as this church family, and I know most of you very personally, and so therefore I know a lot of the things that move you, that you're moved by emotionally, you're moved by spiritually, and the things that that you connect with. And the reality is some things matter more to other people. Not everybody shares your excitement about the things that you share. And so sometimes when I'm preaching, some of the things that I'm I'm preaching about or teaching, man, it's right there and you're just fired up. But the reality is, let me just kind of use this as an example. I cannot always speak to political issues every Sunday. I know that some of you are very impassioned and you should be and you know I am as well, but I I can't be on that road every Sunday. I can't always stand up here and thunder against sin like John the Baptist. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'm a pastor. I have to teach and equip and build up. It's, come on, are y'all with me? I can't, some of you are so into the gifts of the Spirit, you almost float in here on Sunday mornings. And I'm right there with you. You know, I desire earnestly the best gifts, and we want to create that environment for these to be in operation. But I can't constantly, I, there's the whole counsel of God. Come on. The reason why I, I'm saying that is anytime you start using words like, Purpose. Sometimes a negative connotation is applied because there are some people in the body of Christ that are a little bit, if we can use the term, kind of lukewarm or they are accommodating the world and they, they, sometimes they take that angle. Anytime any of us that, that use those similar words, then we get grouped in with that group. And I don't want you to do that to me today. I want you to know this I believe that if you find your purpose in God's kingdom, that's a great thing. I've learned this as a a maturing man that the most contented people under the sound of my voice today are those who live life believing they're in the center of God's will. Because, I mean, you know, even if it seems like a small thing to other people what you're doing, it doesn't matter. If God called you to do that, Mother Teresa on the streets of Calcutta, India, said these words. She said, If you're doing a little thing, she said, it's exactly a little thing. But if you're faithful to a little thing, she said, that's a big thing. Come on. And so if God called you to do it, that's a big thing. That's a big deal. And, and so if you're contented and you're doing what God's called you to do, then we want to emulate you. We want to we we pursue after. But the reality is that there are a lot of people that struggle through life and they never arrive at the place where they can honestly say, God has called me to do this or to be this. It's not always just to do. Sometimes it's just to be. I went through that process as a pastor, and I found myself sometimes, you know, if if I had a day when I didn't do a lot, and I thought to myself, man, I must be failing as a pastor because I wasn't doing, sometimes it's not just doing, it's just being. I'm being who God called me to be. Are y'all hearing me today? And accomplishing the will of God. What I love about the Word of God is the Word of God is so unique. Some people see these scriptures. We just read a passage of scripture that was written uh, hundreds of years before Christ, about a time period hundreds of years before Christ, and it is just as relevant today because it's a living word. Amen. God can bring life To you, when you look deeply and intently into the Word of God, I believe as you and I look into the Word of God, we're not going to forget our deep principles of faith. We're not going to forget about salvation and repentance and all those things. But when we're looking into the Word of God for the unique purpose of discovering our purpose, our calling, our gifting, the will of God for our life, that's the fruit of salvation in your life. What, that, what I'm saying is that's God saying, when I saved you, I saved you for a purpose. If you didn't have a purpose, you should have been raptured the moment you got saved and appeared in heaven. God's left you here because he's designed you for a unique purpose that he would shine his love and his grace through your life. Now, God's word causes us to discover what manner of men and women we are. You know, like a mirror he, we discover our design and our creation. Let's put a few verses of Scripture to reaffirm this before we kind of connect it. Remember, Nehemiah, in that one verse, the 12th verse of the second chapter, he said, God has put this in my heart to do. That's a great thing for you to be able to confess. Let's read Jeremiah 29 and 11. It's from the NIV. Normally it's from the King James for me, but this is the the New International Version. Many of you are more familiar with this. God is telling ancient Israel after the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, this prophetical word comes from Jeremiah, and, and so he said, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Some people think that God is always about to get them. And if you stumble, he's ready to squash you like a bug. And here's a word that says, God says, I have plans for your life. Come on. God's destined you. The key is, is you got to get off the wrong track and get on the right track. Ephesians, the second chapter, Paul said this in the 10th verse, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God has before ordained that you should do what? You should walk in them. That meant when God, let me take this in, in exa- for an example. In, the, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah told about the potter's wheel when Israel, using it as an example, was on the wheel of the potter and the, pot, the clay became marred in the hands of the potter and, and it said that God would make it or the potter would make it into another vessel. What that means when you see this, that it's his workmanship, that like the potter, before the potter ever takes the clay up, he's got a design in his mind of what it's going to look like. Before God ever saved you, He's already got a design of what you're going to look like, how you're going to act, what you're going to talk like, what, how you're going to function in the earth. He's got a design for you. He's ordained that you should walk in good works, that your life should be productive for the kingdom of God, that you should have good fruit. There should be a testimony about your life that others can look at and want to emulate because they see the good hand of God upon your life. Amen? That's a good word. Colossians 4 uses this example. Only four verses here that I'm sharing. Colossians 4, the 17th verse, Archippus, Paul is writing, reminding this man unknown to us, no other passage of scripture he mentioned in the the New Testament but Paul said, take heed to the ministry that you have received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. So Paul is reminding him, brother God gave you something to do. God has given you a purpose and you need to make sure because sometimes it doesn't just happen. You've got to put yourself in a position for the will of God to be accomplished in your life. Come on. Some people think, well, it'll just find me. No, you've got to put yourself in a position for it to find you. Archippus, fulfill it. Lastly, 1 Timothy 1 and 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies that went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. What that means, Paul is reminding Timothy that at the time of his ordination, the the presbytery of ministers laid hands on him. And when they laid hands on him, the spirit of prophecy fell on somebody and somebody spoke a prophetical word about Timothy's future. And Paul had not forgotten it, and he's afraid that Timothy's forgotten it. And he's saying, Timothy, remember the prophecies that went before on you. Plan your life. When he said you might wage a good warfare, you don't go to war without planning, strategic planning. He's saying plan your life to see the fulfillment of those prophecies. And I believe in the spirit of prophecy. If you stay in a spirit-filled environment long enough, there will come a moment when somebody will speak a prophetical word over your life that will help cast vision and direction for you. I believe that. That's why we desire the best gifts of the spirit. Let me give you just a brief overview of what was going on in the days of Nehemiah. The city of Jerusalem had been destroyed in 586 B.C. by, by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He had taken captive many of the people. He left just a handful of people in the province of the city to just kind of maintain it. But the temple, the center of their religious and cultural and political, you know, uh, influence had been destroyed. The, the walled city, the great walled city of Jerusalem had been do- destroyed. The walls had been torn down. The, ro- the, the, the Babylonian soldiers had actually took, you know, staves underneath these giant walls. Partic- just picture in your mind that, that this board on, on our wall was stone and they actually would flip them off all the way, breaking them all the way back down. they burned the city gates there were twelve gates around the city and they burned all the gates with fire and they left just a handful of people and they brought the people back to Babylon and held them in captivity. but God had given a prophetical word that their captivity would be for, for a short window of time seventy years and God said, "I will move on somebody 's heart to release you." Cyrus the Persian king gives a decree to allow a return at least three Three returns were made by the Jews from Babylon and the other nations to which they had been scattered. Zerubbabel began the first return. Ezra also brought a group of people and Nehemiah comes for the, for the purpose of rebuilding the wall. There are two sister books back to back in your Old Testament, the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah. They are contemporaries of each other. Ezra is a priest. He leads the Reformation to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah it becomes the governor and he's leading the reformation to Repair and rebuild the walls. The content of the book of Nehemiah deals with the obstacles that they had to overcome, and there were many obstacles. And if you're in the process of rebuilding, there are going to be a lot of obstacles in your life you're going to have to go, uh, have to learn how to overcome as well. Because it's not just going to happen easily. You're going to have to trust the Lord for wisdom and grace. The book deals with the completion of the walls, the celebration and dedication and the daily maintenance of the city. But today, I want you and I to focus on this one area, just a real narrow target today. I think that we should strive to discover renewed purpose for our lives as we begin the new year. I mean, so that life is not just mundane that it's not mully grub, that we don't get up out of the bed every morning with our hands hanging down and our head bowed over and we don't have any hope and we don't have any joy and we don't seem to have any value or have any purpose, but we get up every day of our life knowing that God knows who we are, where we are. We've learned he's got a plan for our life and we're in the middle of that plan and we're fulfilling it to the grace of God that's on the inside of us. Come on, that's the way I want to start the new year off. And I know that many of you do as well. And I believe that renewing your purpose hinges on knowing what God has put into your heart unlocking that mystery. This text opened today with Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the king. It simply means that he tasted the wine because if anybody plotted against the king one of the quickest ways that they could have killed the king and replaced the dynasty would have been the poisonous wine. So Nehemiah was a man that was chosen that before the wine was set on the table, before the king would eat his dinner, Nehemiah would take a drink of the wine to make sure that it wasn't poison it would be an indicator if nehemiah's handing you the drink and you're the king and nehemiah falls over dead right there that's when you say somebody get me another cup (laughs) come on and nehemiah that's his job don't even get me started there leave leave that all alone but it seems the passage indicated to me that he's living in the palace I guess that could be a pretty cush job if you really look at it, right? His only purpose, in essence, is to taste the wine of the king. He's living in the palace. And, but, but there's something about Nehemiah. This is what you've got to notice here today. It's unwritten in the text. Nehemiah, this is 120 years from the time that the city was destroyed. He never lived in Jerusalem, never lived there. He's lived all his days in what would be called exile. But because the Jews were meticulous to try to keep their heritage of faith, they had been meeting together. And so he had been taught the word of God. He had heard the word of God. He had learned the word of God. He knew the Torah. He knew the scriptures. And in his mind he could only visualize what it must have been like with the temple with all of its grandeur and with all of its original glory. Like the day that Solomon dedicated it. And the Bible says the spirit of God entered into the temple and not even a man could minister. Nobody could stand up to minister because the glory was so great. Come on. What a powerful. And he reads about that. He hears that in his devotions. And so he's inquisitive. And and he and his journey he can only just contemplate it in his mind he has no actual visible physical vision of it he only contemplates it as a dream or a vision his brother Hananiah took a journey to go see the people and returned and Nehemiah said brother tell me about the condition I've been thinking about our people I've been thinking about the city of our forefathers and Hananiah is just frank with him he said brother things are a mess it's tough the walls, are, are they're just every, wall, every stone is turned off of its side. Every gate is burned down. There's rubbish after rubbish. The people are impoverished. They're destitute. They don't have anybody that's connecting the dots. Are you hearing me? They have no purpose in life. Every day they're going up and they're living around the rubbish that needs to be removed. And when Nehemiah heard that, something shifted inside of him. Something dropped down in his spirit that began the process of producing a change in his life but also evolved to the point that it revealed God's will for his life when Nehemiah heard the condition of the people of Jerusalem it would not leave his memory it would not leave his thoughts, his contemplations or his prayer time, he was so moved he went to prayer and he began to weep, he began to pray he began to fast, he began to mourn, not one day but many days This re- the biblical record was five months that Nehemiah every time that he prayed he was grieved when he thought about the condition of the people of ancient Israel what this is right here that simple recording in Nehemiah chapter number one is the key that you must gain to learn to discover what God has put in your heart listen to this very carefully Here's the question that I'm going to ask you that you've got to begin to contemplate in your heart right now. If you're the person that says, Pastor Brown, I want to find God's will for my life. I feel like I'm living a mundane life. I don't have the joy that I could have. I feel like I'm going through the motions. I don't have that. that I, what is Here it is. Very quickly. Listen real quickly. What moves you? Is, that, is it that elementary? Absolutely. What, where, or who unlocks your compassion? What is it when you hear or when you see or when you think or when you read or when you meditate or when you go there, when you see that, hear that, experience that, you are moved deeply inside of you, then that is an indicator that potentially God has placed something inside of you to be involved in that area of life. Did you know the word compassion? You've read about it in the scripture. The Bible says that Jesus had compassion on the multitude. That word in Greek means moving or yearning in the bowels. And so it means when Jesus saw the people, the Bible says he had compassion upon them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That meant when he saw the people of his generation, he was grieved, he was mourning, he was moved. He could not sit there silent. He could not sit there passively. He had to do something that would bless the people of God. If you want to discover that thing, that God has called you to connect to be a part of you got to be able to answer that question that no matter where you are in life when you hear about this people group when you hear about this job when you hear about this career when you hear about this opportunity something inside of you stirs then that potentially is saying to you that God has called you to be a part of that in some unique way does that make sense You know, when I was a young man, the prophetical word had been given over me that one day that I would be a part of ministry right here in Hebrew Springs. And I ended up joining the Air Force, and I was taken, not necessarily around the world, at one particular time. Actually, I'll be honest with you, I was around the world. I had gone to England on a TDY, temporary duty, and I was in my dorm room, and I was praying And I had a little New Testament that they had given me. I'm in my early 20s. Now, I had not forgotten the word that God had spoken to me. I was on active duty Air Force. I was at Jacksonville MacArthur Assembly of God. I was a part of of ministry there, but I had never forgot that word. And I was reading and I was thinking, and I read that passage of Scripture, my son Timothy, according to the prophecies that went before concerning you, that by these you might wage a good warfare. And immediately I was reminded that no matter where I am across this globe, even though I have just a limited travel, it wouldn't matter where I was. There's one people, one place, one region that I could not escape from, that God had called me to be a part of Hebrew Springs and be a part, I didn't know it at the time, First Assembly of God, and I could not escape from it. it wouldn't matter how prosperous I could have been in life, even when I went up to Shirley and God used us to do a great work up there. The thing I couldn't get away from, Mama glow was this unnamed. I didn't know you by face and I didn't know you by name, but I knew about the call of God in my life and every time that I thought about it, every time it. Ended into my mind, I was moved on the inside, and so God was saying, "Lee, there'll come a day, there'll come a time, there'll come an hour, there'll come a moment when this will come together with that together, that together, and suddenly the will of God will be opened in front of you." But I had to keep myself in right position to find the will of God. Come on, somebody, Amen. And if that worked for me, come on, it ain't just us preachers that God's put passion in the heart. Come on, or compassion. I believe that if God has put something in your heart, it is usually associated directly or indirectly, connected to helping recover broken humanity. Broken families, dysfunctional people, lost souls. How many believe that God, through Christ, is a Savior? He's a Redeemer. Come on now. He redeemed us from the hand of the enemy come on through the power of his blood. Jesus said, "I came to seek and to save that which is lost." Jesus came to heal, to deliver and to restore. The word of God says through Christ God is reconciling the world to himself, and he has committed to you and I the ministry of reconciliation. Your career must overlap your calling. No matter what you do as a career doesn't matter. That career must overlap. There must be some way that you can find a way to release the call of God in your life to be able to be an ambassador for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's put you in the ministry of reconciliation. So I want to encourage you that you've got to pray and seek the heart of God. You've got to begin to contemplate these things. You've got to ask yourself hard questions. I can tell you during the time that I was searching for the will of God, Sherry could have testified to it. There are many times I would write down. I would write down things, trying to search, trying to find the shadow of nothing was coming as clear as I'd hoped it would. But you've got to press through those dark days. You've got to press through those days of uncertainty. You've got to just remember that God who orders the steps of good men and good women, the God that said, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and bring you to an expected end that God has ordained for you to follow the will of God for your life you've got to be patient come on somebody once you recognize what, what once you have some measure of an answer to that previous question what moves you follow Nehemiah's example initially don't do anything except pray don't quit your job don't sign up for this or that initially take it to prayer specific, targeted prayer. Not just one day, but it might be weeks, it might be months, and for me, it was years. It was years praying, not forgetting the promises made, not forgetting the prophecies, targeting, praying. I love Nehemiah's prayer. My God, I could preach. I could do like Billy had call time out right there because Nehemiah said, God, I remember the covenant that you said that you gave us through Moses. He had an understanding of the word of God, and he said, God, you said that if we're scattered, that if we would but pray and come to you in our heart, you would take us from where we are and put us back in the land that you destined us to be in. And that's for you today as well. You may be scattered and far from the will of God, but if you'll humble yourself and pray, God will find you where you are and he'll bring you back to where he's designed you to be. Glory to his name. I believe the prayer of faith will create movement. Come on, the prayer of faith. If we pray in faith, in the spirit, there's going to be something that gets agitated. Did you know in ancient Israel you've heard about this? And Not ancient Israel, but the pagans, the Canaanites. The Canaanites, that you've heard talk about Baal and Ashtoreth and, and those things and those groves. And the, I've told you before, the Canaanites were were an ex, uh, sexually explicit people, and they would perform sexual acts here on the earth in hopes that their sexual act would arouse the male god Baal to have celestial sex with the female god Ashtoreth to cause some movement in the heavenlies and release the rain on the earth. Ain't that crazy? But let me tell you this. Let me tell you this right here. When you and I pray in faith. Come on, the effectual, fervent, unceasing prayer of a righteous man will make much power available. If you're not praying about it, it ain't going to happen. Come on, somebody. But if you're praying in faith and you're reminding God of his word and you're reminding him of the promises and you're putting it in front of him, I want you to know that you'll gain the ear of God and God can move things. When things begin to arrive at the specific time, God will begin to move and create an opportunity for you. This season of prayer led Nehemiah to grow dissatisfied with what and where he was. Sometimes that dissatisfaction is a necessary, uh, 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 it's a, it's a necessary not necessarily supplement, but it, an agitator. That dissatisfaction is an agitator for you to search for the courage to pursue your greater purpose. But note this. This is very important. Please hear me. I don't have much more. But Nehemiah was faithful for many years in a position he did not necessarily desire. And that faithfulness created credibility at the critical time. Your life's testimony and experience will prepare you for your greater purpose. If you are faithful in a few things, you know what? God will make you, come on, master over many. But if you're negligent, slothful, lazy, disinterested, your greater purpose can never be, may never be realized. Often there's a strategic person, one strategic person or opportunity that holds the key to unlocking. Let me see what the time it is. I'll watch it. I'll be mindful of it today. That holds the key. For Nehemiah, it was King Artaxerxes. Isn't that odd? Sometimes the thing you're longing for, pursuing one person, holds the key. But I'm telling you, God holds the key to that one person. For Nehemiah, It was King Artaxerxes, and so he prayed, and here was his petition. God, grant me mercy in the sight of the king, a pagan king. But I want you to hear this. God can, and he will use even unbelievers to help you fulfill his perfect will. He will. I'm telling you, you think of the chess game. God will move the pawn and the king. Come on, he will. He'll move whoever he needs to to accomplish his will. I was thinking about that this week. My time, I didn't mean to do this, but I'm just, I'm going to use a brief, I don't do this often, occasionally I do, but in a moment I'm going to invite Daryl back on the platform and then I've got some closing thoughts that I'm going to give you, but you can tell we're going to pray for about the will of God for your life. But because we're at the age, uh, at the time of the uh, end of the fiscal year and we're going to have the annual business meeting, I have to go back through the minutes of the church. And I found myself going all the way back to the original minutes that got left in my office when I became the pastor of the church from 2003 and it was and I had other documentation later that I discovered but it was a reminder it was just a reminder to me because when the church at that time was, the Pastor Kelly had resigned after nine years here and the church was kind of fragmented and a little bit divided and there was not a, the continuity and I don't think it had been as successful of a tenure as he would have hoped to have had and, and the church, it's always a difficult time when you're choosing a pastor and, and, and so people have different things and thoughts and I remember learning later that there was four men that were making the decision because Pastor Kelly had told them be unanimous in your selection that you bring in front of the church. Don't bring two or three different preachers, bring one and they they couldn't agree. The four men couldn't agree. Two were holding out. I found out later for me and two were holding out for one other person. And ultimately the minutes that are in the January 20, uh, 2003 board minutes that are in our book says it was decided that we would call so-and-so to be our pastor, and which is not me. But see, when God has a plan. Come on, you got to get that in your mind. And even when men say one thing, God said, I hold the trump card in this whole thing altogether. Come on. That's the way I look at it. And so even though these men said, we're going to go this way, God moved on the heart of the other man to say, that's not the will of God for me. So then the lot fell to the skinny preacher that's in front of you today. But what that says to me is that there's a God in heaven that just like long years ago knew Nehemiah was here and a broken people was here and he brought Nehemiah from there and brought him here and reconciled the people. God brought me from the hill country of Shirley with a hope and a dream to encourage you and look what God is doing in the midst of this fellowship. That's all it says to me. God doesn't make mistakes. Hallelujah. And he can move things strategically in your life if you'll trust him to do so. And Nehemiah, by his own words, Daryl joined me on the platform. Nehemiah said these words, And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. When Nehemiah said, I want you to send me, I want you to convey me, and I want you to give me timber. Sometimes you've got to be very specific in praying the will of God. And God granted it and he said those words, My God, I'm praying for you to be able to say those same words with Nehemiah. I pray you'll be able to say, And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. I believe for every one of us there will be a season in our life when opportunity is created and favor is granted. Opportunity is created, favor is granted. you know what you're going to need when that happens? You're going to need sacrifice and courage. Come on. It doesn't just happen. I had to move from here to there. Are you all hearing what I'm saying? I can back it up and tell you when I got ready to go out of the mil- to leave the military to take my wife and five children to the Shirley Hill country and leave, beso- leave behind a nine-year military career, not receive any benefits, any payouts, or any retirement, or no insurance or anything, and leave that to go up and pastor a small church in the hills of north-central Arkansas. There comes those moments it's going to take sacrifice... Come on, are y'all with me today? Come on, I know it's getting close to the end, but stay with me. And then it's going to take courage. Nehemiah had to leave the palace. He had to leave the palace to go to a city that was broken down, run down, filled with rubbish, but he was in the will of God for his life. It's going to take a sacrificial state. When you can answer the question, this is what God's put in my heart. I'm going to note these closing points. They're going to go on the screen. I'm going to note this. This is for maintaining and accomplishing. This demanded its own sermon, but time will not allow me to have it. In just a moment, I want to ask those to come forward that would say, I didn't pray with anybody a while ago because I saved my prayer for you in just a few moments. I saved my prayer time because I, I had a specific prayer. I want to pray for those that are saying, I need to be able to answer that question. I know there's some of you that need to be able to answer that question, and you can't answer it right now and you need to so the remainder of that chapter from the ninth verse to the 20th verse there are all these thoughts that I just got to leave in your heart today because I won't be able to share these in the rest of the sermons a part of this series but let me just drop these as nuggets in your life as you begin to move forward some of you every one of us are somewhere in this journey either needing to change or you're contented you're right where you're at let me just throw these out at you real quickly number one always be reminded not everybody's glad to see you Come on. Not everybody wants to help you. And there's always some level of resistance. You got to just know that. Number two, initially, don't tell everybody what God's put in your heart. There are times you need to keep your big mouth shut. That's the best way I can tell you. Or or if not, it'll be seen as boastful or arrogance and you'll live to regret it. Sometimes just kind of tuck it away. Remember what Mary did Mary, the Bible says she hid those things in her heart. Sometimes you just, just hold on to it. I, I tell you about it every now and then, but I didn't go around telling about this in days gone by. I hid these in my heart. Number three, take the necessary time to evaluate and assess the situation. Nehemiah did. He went. You read about it. He went through the city. Determine what resources are needed. You may need to go back to school. You may need new job training. You may have to leave here and go there. You've got to weigh everything out. Don't just jump into things blindly and expect God to just catch it all up. Or you're going to make a bad mistake that you and your family. Don't put your family at risk right without great counsel and a strategic plan. Does that make sense today? Number four, at the right time you will have to share with others your purpose because you cannot accomplish God's will alone. You're going to have to connect to somebody. I put in my sub notes: not everybody can go with you, but some people need to go with you. Number five, I love this. I could preach a whole sermon on this. The testimony and experience of your life has prepared you for this next leg of the journey. Come on, it has. People will support a person that they believe has the good hand of God upon them. That's why occasionally I tell you about things that happened in my past long before I knew any of you by faith or by by face and by name. I didn't know any of you. But I tell you a little bit, not not in a boastful way, because every now and then you need to know that I'm a part of something that was going on before you got here. Does that make sense? that we need to see in the realm of the Spirit, that we recognize people support someone that they believe has the good hand of God upon them. Number six, in the words of my dear uh, brother, uh, brother-in-law Billy, occasionally you've got to state the obvious. When he arrived there, he just took a look around, and he said, after three days, after going through the city at night, he called everybody together, and he just said, Look at this. This is a mess. This place is a mess. Look at the rubbish. Look at the broken walls. He looked at it. The burned gates. The reason why he addressed it is the people had learned to live with it. And so have we many times. We've learned to live in our desperate plight. We've learned to live in our dysfunction, our brokenness, our hopeless or hapless condition. And we think that's what God's will is for us, to have gates that are burned walls that are broken, leftover residue of hurts and pains of years gone by. And sometimes you got to state the obvious and say, people, you need to be told it's not God's will for you to live life that way. And I want to tell anybody that is, God is not the author of confusion. He is not. He's the author of peace. God doesn't come to destroy. He comes to bless, to encourage and to strengthen your life. He gave himself a ransom for many. And seventh, and lastly, just nuggets to drop in your heart as you launch out into your perfect, the God's perfect will for your life. You go on the solution. God's given it to us in the Word. Nehemiah said, let's rise and build. Always strive to encourage and equip people to help accomplish the goals. I believe that when you can look at the situation, no matter how great it is, and say, you know what? By God's grace, we can do that. That's faith. That's number seven. You present the solution. You tell the enemy, enemy, you have no right. You have no right to my life. Tell you what, you'll be on the edge of seeing great things happen in your life. Our heads are bowed, our eyes closed. I want to say this, it's it's time for those in this room that may be here today, you're not here by accident. It's time for you to no longer live life aimlessly. I know I've taken you all the way to 1207 on a Sunday morning, the first Sunday of 2015. But listen, I can't apologize. This is very important that you take, time, you take time to set the course. Don't just move and live around the rubbish. Don't get up every day and not have purpose. Don't get up every day and live life aimlessly or selfishly. Live life conforming to the will of God. Put your, why, Pastor Brown, are you the pastor of First Assembly today? Because I put myself in the position where God's will could find me, and you got to do the same. You've got to put. You got to do the preparation. You have got to do the, the, the training. You got to whatever it is. So do you. I believe that prayer can unlock your purpose. Do you believe that today? Can say that with me. Prayer can unlock my purpose. Remind. Let me remind you. There is a passion in you that God has placed. Every one of us are somewhere in this journey. A closer look at Nehemiah helps us discover who we are. A closer look at Nehemiah and I can find myself in the text and I can discover how I can answer that question. I'm asking those here today, visitor, newcomer, longtime member of this fellowship, doesn't matter. Do you need to find renewed purpose for your life in 2015? If you do, shouldn't we pray for it? Isn't that what Nehemiah did? Didn't Nehemiah, when he heard of the plight of the people, he just went to prayer? See, I want you to be able to say that you're doing what God's put in your heart to do. That's what I believe. When you you can say that, you'll be the most contented person. See, I have contentment in my life because I'm doing what God's called me to do. Does that make sense today? Would you be honest with me on this first Sunday in 2015?